0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written The righteous shall live by faith. Many years ago, Martin Luther was preparing his lectures in the book of Romans when he found a note written by St. Augustine regarding the righteousness of God that we read about in Romans 1.17. This was in one of Augustine's manuscripts, and he had written that this doesn't refer to the righteousness that belongs exclusively to God, but rather God's righteousness that He freely gives to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. It refers to the righteousness of God that becomes ours. This righteousness isn't achieved through living a perfect life, and we know that's impossible for any human being. Instead, it becomes ours only when it is received as a gift, a free gift from God, an undeserved gift, one that we could never earn. In other words, this righteousness comes to us as grace. As a gift of God's grace. Now, to say that this realization had a profound impact on Luther would be a great understatement. Because for the first time in Luther's life, he understood the gospel. For the first time in his life, he understood the gospel. He had been struggling with the reality of his own sin, he saw the imperfection of his works. He felt the heavy burden of guilt as the law of God continually shone a light into the darkness of his heart. And he was weighed down by all this, and understanding the gospel coming to grips with what it means to be justified by faith and not works, changed Luther's life. He was transformed by the gospel, and he experienced freedom like he had never felt before. Through Luther's teaching, many other lives have also been transformed by the gospel, Paul's letter to the Romans has been a wonderfully effective instrument in making the gospel known, and it has had an extraordinary impact on the lives of many believers. It is our hope that through this sermon series, this letter will also have an extraordinary impact on our lives here in St. Andrew's Cathedral. So with that, let's dive into today's text, Romans 1, 16 and 17, verses that will be familiar to many of us. Some scholars believe that these verses are the crux of the whole letter. They tell us what the entire letter is about and they tell us what Paul's motivation is for writing it. And as we see, Paul boldly declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And my friends, are we able to say the same thing? Here in Singapore, I think many of us live by this principle which can be called... Good things must share. Good things must share. You may have heard that before. You may know people who would consider it a a very serious transgression if you don't abide by this principle. If you know of something good, they want to hear it from you. And When we receive news of some big sale, great discounts, maybe free stuff, free ice cream, free curry puffs, whatever it is, when we get news like that, we are very excited about it and we want to send it to as many people as we can. In particular, we send this to the people we care about, our family and our friends. We don't only want them to know about this. Actually, we really hope that we are the first person to tell them. We take delight in knowing that they didn't know this until they received this news from us. Nowadays, we often do this through WhatsApp. We will forward a message, and WhatsApp will even track and tell you if a lot of people thought that this was something that was really important to share. It would say this has been forwarded many times. So it's worth pondering, why wouldn't the message of the gospel, the greatest news of all, why wouldn't the message of the gospel be, figuratively speaking, forwarded many times? Why wouldn't we forward it many times? Well, Paul implies that many Christians are ashamed, ashamed of the gospel. And why might this be so? Why would we be embarrassed to proclaim the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. But when you think about it, it's not entirely a comfortable message. And that needs to be qualified, it needs to be clarified. Now the gospel brings a word of comfort, absolutely yes. It brings us the greatest comfort of all, uh, comfort that we desperately need. But this comfort can only be received when we acknowledge our own sinfulness, our own unworthiness, and that's not at all a comfortable thought. Sin is bad news, and most people don't like receiving bad news. And perhaps we are worried that we would offend people by telling them such bad news, news that they don't want to hear. But we need to recognise the horror of our sin and the terror of God's judgement in order to receive the good news of the gospel. We need to recognize the horror of our sin and the terror of God's judgment in order to receive the good news of the gospel. Sometimes it's necessary, it's critical for us to hear bad news. For example, if someone is ill, well, he needs to know even if that's bad news and he doesn't want to hear about it. He needs to know in order that he can seek and undergo treatment. And people who are lost without Christ need to know that they are spiritually sick because of their sin. They need to hear this bad news and receive it as truth before they can be cured. Some of us might be wondering, can we just preach the good news and leave out the bad parts? Can we avoid sharing the bad news? Well, the simple answer is no, we can't. If our message is simply, God loves you and God wants to bless you, He wants you to receive his love and his blessing as kind of a bonus to be added on to your life just as you are living it right now, then that's not the gospel but a terrible distortion of it. The gospel requires an admission of sin and guilt. We must desire forgiveness. We must be willing to repent and turn wholly to God. Believe in Jesus entails trusting Him, obeying Him, following Him. There is a commitment involved. The gospel is a free gift, yes, but it has to be received in a certain way and it requires us to respond in a certain way. We cannot dictate the terms of how we receive this gift. And many, well, don't want to receive this gift on God's terms. And that's why many respond to its message with hostility. Perhaps many of us feel that our environment, our culture is just too hostile towards the gospel, and it gives us reason to be very afraid or reserved in our proclamation of it. Perhaps we are thinking that in Paul's day, it was so much easier, the people were so much more ready to receive it. But when you think about it, you realise that can't be true at all. If anything, Paul's environment was much, much more hostile than what we face here in Singapore today. For him and his contemporaries, the threat of death as a result of proclaiming the gospel was much more real. We have to be clear that Paul was eager to preach the gospel not because he was surrounded by the right right crowd, the right kind of people. He wasn't surrounded by genuine seekers who were eager to receive the truth. No, he faced opposition too. Paul was eager to preach the gospel simply because he understood what it is. He understood that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That was his conviction. Because of our sin. We have no righteousness of our own. We need to be saved. We need to be saved from sin and death. We need to receive God's righteousness in order to live. And the gospel tells us that we receive his righteousness through faith. The righteous shall live by faith or The one who by faith in Christ is made righteous shall live. And here Paul is quoting from Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Now what's going on in Habakkuk 2? The context is important. And we see then that the people of God were in great distress because they were suffering at the hands of their enemies. And in the midst of all that suffering, the prophet Habakkuk cries out to God and he asks God, why are you allowing this to continue? How long more do we have to wait before you will deliver your people? And God answers Habakkuk, and he says to him, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. But the righteous shall live by his faith. God tells Habakkuk to wait patiently and to trust in him because deliverance will surely come. And what God is saying is that the person who trusts in God, God regards as righteous. The person who trusts in God, God regards as righteous. The righteousness of God becoming ours. Like Luther, we have to marvel at this truth that sinners can be made righteous, that sinners can receive the righteousness of God as our own. And this truth has to transform our lives. The Gospel calls us to receive the gift of life through the righteousness of faith. Righteousness that's not our own but received as a gracious gift. That by trusting in Jesus, trusting in His finished work on the cross, our sins can be forgiven and we can receive God's righteousness as a gift of His grace. We are reconciled with God and we can enjoy a personal relationship with Him. We receive the gift of eternal life, saved from sin and death, and we will enjoy intimate communion with God forever, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. And all this and more is available to everyone who believes. This is so amazing that Paul has to proclaim it boldly. He can't hold it in. And for us as recipients of this amazing gift, we too mustn't hold it in. We are obligated to follow Paul's example to preach the gospel boldly. And if you look at the pages of Scripture, you find that it tells us that there are consequences if we fail to speak. I draw attention to 2 Kings chapter 7, and there's a very interesting account there of something that's happening in Samaria, the capital of Israel. The city was under attack by the Syrians, and there was a great famine. And at that time, there were four lepers who were sitting at the entrance of the city gate. And they were sitting there, and they were talking amongst themselves, and they were saying, well, there's no point staying here, waiting to die. If you try to go into the city, there's a famine there. There's no food. We will die of starvation. Our best option, as crazy as it sounds, is to go to the camp of the Syrians. Because if we go there, who knows, they may be gracious and compassionate, they may spare our lives, they may even give us food. What's the worst that can happen? They would kill us. Well, if we stayed here, we would die anyway. So let's take that risk, let us go. Let us go to the camp of the Syrians. And so they went. And they went to the camp and to their great surprise, they found the camp empty. But all that the Syrians had, that had been left behind. Because what had happened was that God had caused the Syrians to hear the sound of a great army and they thought that they were coming under attack. And in great fear, they had fled the camp and they had left everything behind. And so the lepers went into one tent and then another, helping themselves to food and drink, collecting for themselves gold and silver and clothing. And they had stumbled upon a wonderful treasure. They had hit the jackpot. And in the midst of all that, there's a point where they stop and they look at each other and they say to each other, we are not doing right. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. This is a day of good news. If we are silent, punishment will overtakers. They understood that they were obligated to share the good news, good things, must share. And this is so relevant to gospel proclamation in each one of our lives. In today's gospel reading, we see a similar principle at work in Jesus' words. And he says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him... Will the Son of Man, as Jesus, be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? If we are silent, punishment will overtake us. There are consequences. And we will be held accountable for failing to speak. Now, of course, God wants us to share the gospel out of love for him, not merely out of fear of punishment. But it's clear, nonetheless, that he expects us to speak. It matters when and how we share the good news, that's true. But we mustn't allow these considerations to result in our silence. We must speak. And this is true not only for pastors and preachers, it's true for every believer, every Christian. And I want to say that this is not just about evangelism as a thing that we do. But this has to do with our discipleship, how we give our entire life to follow Christ. Let me elaborate on that, because evangelism mustn't be a mode that we engage, we switch on when it's time to tell someone the good news about Jesus Christ. But rather, our witness, all of our speech about the gospel should flow from a life of discipleship. By being faithful disciples of Jesus, by trusting Him and by obeying Him in a way that can be seen, by those around us, we embody the gospel. We embody the gospel. We make it real and tangible for non-Christians. The gospel becomes for them not just something that's theoretical, not just something that's abstract, but it's something that they are able to see, to touch, to experience in their own lives through us. As faithful disciples of Jesus, we are to embody the gospel so that we can then share it with the world. This is both an awesome privilege and also a very heavy responsibility. Paul helpfully reminds us that the gospel is the power of God, the power of God for salvation. The Greek word for power is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. God's dynamite power is at work in the gospel. This is his power and not ours. And I think the trouble is that many of us, when we are trying to preach the gospel, we're not focused on God's power. We're not focused on God's power when we try to reach out to people, but we are very often thinking about our own power. We think about our ability or our lack of it in some of our own estimation. We focus on our gifts, our anointing. And this problem is there whether we are successful or not. If we do well, we often think it's because of us. We are anointed and we are so blessed to be able to exercise this ministry in such a magnificent way. We focus on ourselves. If we struggle to do this well, well, we think it's because we're not anointed, we have not been blessed, we're not granted effectiveness, and that becomes a reason for us to avoid sharing the gospel. And in either case, we fall into error because this is not about us. It's not about our power, but God's. The gospel is God's power for salvation. We are merely channels and vessels for it so that it can be revealed through our words, through our deeds, through our lives. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Jars of clay are earthen vessels. They are ordinary, they are common, they are inexpensive. There's nothing special about them at all. And Paul is saying that that's what we are. We are jars of clay. There's nothing special about us. And yet God deposits His power in us. He comes to dwell in us. And the point of all this is that we would reveal God's all-surpassing power, that all attention goes to His power and not ours. All glory goes to Him and not us. And this must be true in our witness. And when we understand this, we realise that it's fundamentally a matter of trust. A matter of trust. Will we trust Almighty God to work in and through us as we unashamedly proclaim the good news? And all this thinking and reflecting has to lead us to practical action. We mustn't only think about speaking, we have to actually speak. So let's ask ourselves, when was the last time that we shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? This is a question that I have to ask myself very regularly. Cuz I think there's sometimes the temptation to hide behind other aspects of ministry and, and kind of say that I'm so busy with all that and it becomes an excuse at times. And I try my best not to allow myself to embrace that excuse and I have to ask myself when was the last time I shared the gospel? And that's kept me in check to keep me ready when the opportunity arises and I'm thankful that one did just very recently I just want to share this with you as a form of accountability to let you know that I'm working at this too So about 2 weeks ago I met a young man who is not a Christian but interestingly he's been attending another church very regularly for a few years and I found out that he's actually more regular and in some ways more committed than the members of that church. He's always there for almost everything. When I asked him about it, he says he's not particularly religious. He says he's a free thinker. I asked him if he's open, and he was very measured in his reply. I think he was trying to hold me at a distance. He didn't want me to get too excited. And he said he, he's, he's okay with being there. And he said he sees church as a good place to be, as a way of learning more about life in general. He learns about values and principles, and he thinks... That's helpful. But he also shared honestly that he's found, uh, for all that he's heard, that there's not that much difference between what Christianity tells us about how to live and what other religions tell us about how to live. He says they all tell us in some way to be good and to do good, and I agreed with him on that point. There is some truth in that. But I also shared with him that Christianity is not about us coming to God because we are good it's not about becoming good enough so that we can stand before God in fact quite the opposite we come before God asking for mercy because we are not good, but He is good if we fall short time and again and yet as long as we repent and return God receives us time and again in his love and in his mercy. The story of grace, the story of a God who would pay the price himself to rescue us when we are lost in our sin, that story of grace is uniquely Christian. There's nothing else like it. I had the opportunity to pray for this young man and I prayed that God would reveal himself to him as his loving Heavenly Father, the Father who wants to draw him near, and I pray that he would experience God's love and come home, come home to him. I also tell you that this wasn't a successful sharing in the human sense of the word. He didn't give his life to Jesus, but I will continue to pray for him. And if the opportunity arises, I'll be happy to speak to him again. But my friends, this message of love that I shared with him is also God's message to you. Some of you here may not be Christians. I'm not certain what brought you here, but we're glad that you're here. Perhaps you have not received God's love and you have not given your life to Him. And I pray that today you would open your heart to Him and you would. Place your trust in Him. And if you are doing that today, if you came with someone, someone brought you to church, please let that person know. Uh, If you didn't, if you came by yourself, please let one of the pastors, the staff or the leaders know because we would love to hear from you. Many of us here are Christians and as you hear afresh the good news of the gospel would you prayerfully consider are there persons you know who need to hear this good news the gospel is God's message of love to them and will you be his messenger let's bow our heads and pray Sovereign Lord, we, we want to be unashamed of the gospel. But we are also so aware of our own weakness. And so help us in our weakness. Grant us your power to speak your word with all boldness. And use us to draw many souls to you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.